All right, welcome to God's Work Displayed. Today's episode is going to be a little different than normal. Um, it's actually really unusual for me to do something like this, but um, in light of actually a couple years of what's been going on and some things that have happened the past couple days, I feel like it's um, it's worthwhile to mention. And I'll be honest, I'm a little hot under the collar about this. And I've not publicly said anything, and I know the two of you that listen, it's not going to make much difference, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it, um, and I won't be on social media. So, you know, it's, it's it, I know it doesn't count if it's not on social media, but I'll say it anyways. Um, so before I get into the episode, I will say that I've been diligently working on the communion episode. I think I mentioned that last time, but I'm talking a little more detail about my thoughts on communion. Um, how it should be conducted, who can conduct it, that kind of stuff. And I had most of it ready. Um, due to some different reasons, I was holding off on doing that, um, just to make sure I was thinking through it thoroughly and uh, having some back and forth with some others. But <clears throat> I will probably uh, produce that here in the near future, um, just to go ahead and get it out there and um, I'll be very careful with how I word certain things in that, of course. Um, but today, I am going to address um, the recent sexual abuse task force report by Godstone Solutions um, with the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. So, and in fact, I, I, well, to be honest, I'm not going to be spending too much time on, on the task force, all the details of it. It's 288 pages. It's available out there. If you really want to get it, um, you can contact me, godsworkdisplayed at gmail.com, and I'll send you the link. I'm happy to do that. Um, <clears throat> because, um, but but there are some things that they, they come across, that they investigated. Um, I think some things that need to be discussed and some of the recommendations and some further recommendations I have. So, um, let me go ahead and give you a little bit of history myself, um, and then about the SPC, and then we'll kind of get into this. And, and like I said, I'm a little hot under the collar, so we'll just, we'll just go from there. So I will try to be, um, compassionate, but, uh, We'll see what happens. So, just so you know, I was raised in an SBC church. Um, kind of your traditional small town Baptist church. Um, not, didn't hear much expository preaching, which is common throughout the SBC. Expository preaching is preaching from the text. Um, more often uh, within the SBC, preaching is... Um, soapboxes. So we've seen a slight change in that over the years. Um, I know there's been some influences like Mark Dever and some different things like that. They've helped with change that. But um, I will say if you're not getting a steady diet of scriptural preaching, then your church is probably not a healthy church. Um, and, and the best way you can ensure that is a church that, that preaches through books of the Bible. And there's different ways to do that and, and all that, but, but essentially just the text determines what you get to preach on and then thus what you say and what you believe versus the opposite, which is what I heard a lot of. 
Um, <clears throat> so anyways, so that's the kind of situation I grew up in. Um, my, I had a grandfather on my mother's side who was a, actually was a pastor, SBC pastor, and taught at a Bible college in Kentucky, um, which is a part of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, which is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So, there, and he went to he went to the same seminary I went to, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I have a sister who attended there. I have a brother-in-law who got his PhD from there. Um, I got my Master of Divinity from there. I have good friends that I made that went there. So, um, I, I've been a part of SBC life pretty much always. Um, I don't think I've ever been in a church that wasn't SBC. So, Southern Baptist Convention. So, um, there's a lot... Of, for me, there, there's a lot um, historically that's going on with this. I'm fortunate that I've not been involved in any sex abuse stuff. I've never been a victim or anything like that. Um, so, unfortunately, in that I I hate that it's been happening. Um, so, uh, to give you a little background about what's been going on, um, there a couple years ago, the Houston Chronicle came out with a a series, if I remember right, um, about sex abuse that was going on in the SBC, primarily with Texas churches, because it's Houston, Texas. Um, and what was happening was that the, they were discovering that it was getting covered up so a lot of times at a local church level. Um, and then when the pastor or music minister or some sort of church leader or even somebody that was held sway within the church... A local church, they would say a pastor wants to go to another church. They would not mention that when he moved on to the other church. And so then these these guys became serial abusers, most often men in these situations. I'm sure there were some women in that, but um, unfortunately it's most often men who are the perpetrators. So um, young boys and girls were abused sexually um, and there, it was covered up, um, and also that messed them up pretty bad. Um, they were not allowed to tell their stories oftentimes. There was no civil, and oftentimes civil authorities were not brought in. Um, and remind you that this is against the law. So, um, it's not just a church thing, like there's a disagreement within the church about what color the cushions on the seats should be. Um, this is a crime against a person. This is abuse. And so um, this carried on. Well, that Chronicle article kind of really stirred up people. Um, SBC is, is kind of a weird entity uh, in that um, it's really technically is multiple churches. It's all the member churches is what the convention is. And... They only meet together two or three days in a year um, for the annual meeting, and that's when they vote on things. And they have uh, groups that kind of meet throughout the year that kind of do a lot of the um, uh, nuts and bolts stuff. There, there are some full-time employees that work for them, handling different things, you know, like sending out publications and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the main thing that's run, that runs the 
Southern Baptist Convention is not the Southern Baptist president. Um, it's the what's called the executive committee. And to let me just say that the whole way the Southern Baptist Convention works at a parliamentary level in terms of like how voting's done, how things are put on the agenda, how all this is discussed, all this is very Byzantine. Actually, it makes the Byzantines look simple, I think. Um, it's very complicated. And the trick of, no, the trick is that in the past it was used for the conservative resurgence because a lot of those people um, that knew how all those inner workings operated and were able then to use those parliamentary procedures to start putting people in place for the conservative resurgence. Uh, in the past, I would have said that was a good thing. Um, now it's a mix, is what I would say, because many of those people involved are the ones involved in the cover-ups. Um, they claim to want to recover um, biblical authenticity, biblical truth, and yet they are denying the clear mandates of Scripture. They are denying all that God has created in terms of what's important. So what happened was this all stirred up things, and so the past couple of years, so there's some survivor groups that have been really pushing and clamoring for justice, rightly so. And um, uh, in public, a lot of these members and a lot of these power players were suppressing them. I'm going to throw out names. There, there's an instance last year, this was when it really came to head, what happened last year was that um, there was one case, and I cannot remember the people's names, the the survivor's name, but she was in the like uh, lobby or foyer of the convention center they were using for the annual meeting. And as far as I understand, she was given permission to be there, and this woman who's a survivor was passing out information, like pamphlets and stuff about what the sex abuse stuff was going on in terms of like what the problems were and um, just information, and she wasn't yelling, she wasn't doing anything, she was just like, here you go, here you go, <clears throat> and it was my understanding that one of the men who was, um, campaigning for SBC president, Mike Stone, confronted her and pretty much berated her, and, um, just made her feel next to nothing. This is a man running for the SBC presidency. Well, he's connected to a group called the Conservative Baptist Network, and from my understanding and from everything I've read, there's a weird connection with the Conservative Baptist Network and some possible um, white nationalists. I'm not totally sure about that. But definitely Paige Patterson's involved in this. Here's the problem. Paige Patterson is also involved in covering up some rape allegations that occurred at Southwestern Seminary when he was president there. And he was forced to resign from that position. He did not go willingly. Um, he was also connected with a man named Paul Pressler. They were two architects of the conservative resurgence. Well, Paul Pressler was also abused young boys, sexually abused young boys. It's, it's come out. So that's one aspect of it. Um, the previous uh, SBC president, chairperson, chairperson, um, Ronnie Floyd, there's no... 
he was not directly involved in any things, but he was definitely trying to suppress this last year with the task force doing stuff. So let me go back to last year during the annual meeting. The executive committee said, no, we don't. We can investigate ourselves. We don't need a third party to do that. Fortunately, Russ Moore and Philip Bethencourt, well, Philip Bethencourt, from what I understand, released um, some recordings and things of Russ Moore confronting um, some higher-level people. I think it was Mike Stone and Ronnie Floyd in this case, and the SBC. This is all out there. It's not... It's not, I'm not making it up. It's not conjecture. It's, it's all publicly accessible on the internet. So he um, confronted them about that. They they basically said you can't um, talk to sex abuse survivors. The group that Russ Moore was leading, the SBC entity he was leading, was the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I am not a huge fan of the ERLC for different reasons, but not for this reason. There's some other reasons I'm not a big fan of it. I don't, I don't like lobbying, so I'll say that. But he had hosted, and I think this is an appropriate um, uh, thing for abuse survivors to speak, and I think Rachel Denholder was there. She was an abuse survivor and an attorney, and she called out the SBC on some practices that were not okay. Um, and so they confronted more about that, saying you can't make the SBC look bad. And on and on, and we've got to keep get this under control. We got to we got to make sure our base isn't upset. So they're thinking politically instead of um, instead of biblically. They're not thinking like Jesus. They're thinking like politicians. Um, and so eventually, Russ Moore, well, he resigned and left the SBC altogether. And um, <clears throat> they have. This leads to just um, the executive committee trying to investigate themselves. So when all that came out, um, the messengers, those are the people who vote, it's church members that were at the annual meeting, pushed forward and said, no, we're not going to accept what the executive committee is suggesting. We want a third party. And they forced it down their throats. And it's good for them. I wasn't at any of this, so that's why. And um, so now... and. And after that, they finally hired a third party, and the executive committee still would not cooperate with stuff. And there was a lot of back and forth about that, and finally a few people resigned, including Ronnie Floyd, um, and they were able to proceed. And part of what the report comes out with, and what you would saw clearly, was that these people in power weaponized the cooperative program, they weaponized... Um, the, the denomination and said, well, if we allow this to go forward, it will will become liable. <clears throat> so they're worried about their legal liability. They're, they say that it's going to hurt evangelism if we, you know, and if abuse comes out, comes to light. Oh, goodness. And um, that then they kept saying, you know, because each church within the convention is autonomous. It functions on its own. They said, well, we can't take responsibility for it, and on and on. And so finally we got those people to leave, or they got outvoted. <clears throat> and part of the problem was also the legal counsel that was used by the executive committee. And I honestly, I'm going to say this, those people who were exec that were the legal counsel um, probably need to um, get saved. 
and there's a good chance that, um, that I, I don't know, they need to be investigated by their bar association, probably. Um, it's, it's concerning. There's some ethics issues going on here. Maybe not legal, but ethics. And I don't even care about legal ethics. I'm talking about biblical ethics. So um, they should never be retained again by any Christian. So until they come to repentance. So <clears throat> the so on and on. So the report came out Sunday. From what I understand, Guidepost Solutions, it's a 288-page report. Um, I cannot recall exactly how far back it goes. I think roughly 20 years, the investigations. Um, I know that they are limited in some scope because of legal jurisdictions and statute limitations. So, I, But they were trying their best. They were getting stonewalled by many people in the executive committee. Um, and let me say this. The, the, the executive committee is composed of trustees. Um, there are many trustees who are new, so they, they have nothing to do with this except with the recent stuff, and they voted for the third party. There are some trustees who just were not kept in the know. They weren't, they did, they weren't part of this good, good old boys group. So let's not fault them. It was, it was primarily like um, committee chairmen and some other entity heads that were at it. Um, but essentially, I haven't read through the whole report. I read the Christianity Today article about it and Russ Moore's um, opinion about it. And I've um, looked, I scrolled all the way down to the recommendations the uh, task force had. Um, but I haven't read the whole report. Um, but needless to say, like, there are hundreds of cases of abuse that were covered up. Um and the primary reason was that they supposedly they didn't want the denomination to look bad I, I hope that you are having trouble even comprehending how how devious that is in fact one of the one of the legal counsels in Augie Bodo um, it was the general counsel for the executive committee Claim that the survivors trying to get justice was a satanic scheme. I must say this: that man is under the influence of Satan. So, I want to stop for a second and reorient how we should think about all this. God made man in His own image and likeness. We've had I've had a big episode on that. You'll hear me repeat that over and over again. One of the reasons I said earlier about my growing up in SBC and lack of expository preaching is that because there's not none of that, I never, I do not recall ever hearing a sermon on the doctrine of the image of God. No one ever preached on the first part of Genesis. Maybe they did, but they never got to that part. They never spent time talking about that. I was never taught really about that in Sunday school or anything like that. Um, I probably got a little bit of it in seminary, but, well, I did, you know, systematic especially. Um, most of it's been on my own study and reading. But it's something that's essential to a Christian's understanding of who we are and how, how our place in the universe, essentially, and our place in our standing before God. Every person is made in the image of God. So that when we 
do something to another image bearer, we are offending God. I'm not making this up. This is scripture over and over again. God talks about this. And I've talked about this over again. I don't want to go on ad nauseum about it. But I want you to encourage you to go back to the Imago Dei episode if you want more information about this. But over and over again, God especially talks about the outcast, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, you know, all these people. If you read the prophets, all major and minor prophets, that's one of the major things. Israel has gone after false gods, and they've refused to care for their people. They've, they've in, in, in fact, most often, they have taken advantage of those who are most at risk. And so God, that's what really, really grinds his gears. We see that in James. We see that over, it's just over and over again. It's this, we are his image bearers, and we are holy temples. Remember, the Holy Spirit resides in Christians, in the body of Christians. Now, it doesn't matter if these abuse survivors were, these victims were believers or not. They're still made in the image of God. And to say, and so some of these guys that were covering up, they're saying, well, I heard evangelism. Well, clearly they don't, they didn't pay attention to Jesus' teaching on what the two most important commandments are. Love the Lord with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang off of these. Friends, the Great Commission is rooted in those two. If you ignore loving our neighbor, loving fellow image bearers, then you you cannot accomplish any form of evangelism. To separate those is the satanic scheme. So, when we think about this cover-up, we have to realize that these men, and it's mostly men, um, are in fact not working for the kingdom. They're working against the kingdom of God. They were trying to carve out their own little kingdoms within the denomination and within their megachurches too often, within their little SBC entities. This is a huge problem. So, so that's where I find the root of the issue. So then it connects back to this really complicated Byzantine system of how the, the denomination functions. You know, it's really hard to get rid of people. It's really hard. Or what happens, like what I told you about with that conservative Baptist network, there's Paige Patterson, even though he's got a tarnished name and some places, some people loving, he's still got his fingers and stuff. And I'm assuming all these other guys do too. So there are puppets of these predators still within the denomination that have power and get power easily. Because remember, they're connected to big churches. And the SBC loves big churches because they have lots of baptisms. The thing is, those churches oftentimes are just numbers. They aren't kingdom growth. They're just numerical growth. So, in fact, the denomination almost needs to have a, a rule where people can't serve in certain capacities if their church exceeds a certain number of people. That'll set people straight. Um, you know, there's a lot of money that comes from big churches. So if you look at the SBC and who runs different things, they're all coming from big churches. 
um, they're connected to people. So it's a huge problem. So it's all, this is all interconnected. So the, back to the task force recommendations. So one of the things, obviously, is um, they want to create like what's called a credentialing committee that actually has teeth to to go over that. They want to, to like be able to, to address these issues. Um, they want kind of a compliance officer, which I'm going to tell you, even if you get a compliance officer, they're going to be they're going to be the the dog, you know, the the tail's going to wag the dog, kind of deal. It, it, they're going to be that that it's unlikely that a compliance person will will have independence. They'll be stymied in every way possible. They also recommend, um, well, let's see. I'm trying to think of some a database. Well, guess what? The SBC already had a database. They just didn't act on it. In fact, they were trying to say that we can't have a database. We can't. We don't have the liability. Blah blah blah. Even though attorneys outside of the SBC were saying, "No, you can have one." So there's that. Um, the big thing with that is that. So let's say um, Pastor A is at small town church A and abuses somebody. Then um, they it gets reported, and then they keep track of it. And so then, if he applies to work at uh, small town church B, uh, they can go to the, the SBC that church B and say, "Hey, is Pastor A on this list?" And they'll say, "Yeah, he is." And then hopefully they won't hire him. They still might. So that's one of the big issues too. I don't. I'm not opposed to a database. I, part of the problem is the church autonomy issue. Like the church still may not care. Um, I have some ideas put teeth on it, and I'll, get, I'll share those in a little bit. Um, they also want to compensate many survivors. I think it's great. They want to create, like, a training. Part of the credentialing committee compliance thing is to also create, like, a, um, a group that trains churches and kind of monitors all that um, on how to avoid that. There's something about, like, a memorial for that. I mean, I think we should acknowledge it publicly, and repent as a as a denomination repent um i don't know if any silence or memorial i think memorials anyways that's not that doesn't matter um i think that's a minor thing that maybe the survivors like it i don't know i don't see that as that will not change people let me put it that way that will not change people's hearts um i think memorials as a rule are kind of um not helpful for people outside of the individual that wants to remember it. So, um, there was a few other recommendations and they also had some other ideas. Um, let me say this, and I, and I am forgetting if they included something about disfellowshipping churches who didn't comply. Here's what I want. Okay. I want... That when the church is identified as a pastor, let's say, or a music minister, whoever, leader, um, has identified that this person's abuser, one, the civil authorities need to be contacted immediately um, to address that, to investigate, to prosecute as necessary. Oh, oh, I forgot there was one other thing. That there's no more um, secret non-disclosure agreements allowed unless the victim wants that, 
than the SBC, which is good because they were trying to cover up a lot of stuff that way too. Okay, sorry. So back to it. So I want, so if a church, um, so if that pastor gets on that list, if a, that pastor also needs to be banned. So here's the problem with a lot of churches. Back to that lack of good biblical preaching. There aren't, many churches don't have church discipline in their bylaws, in their constitution, any of that stuff. Church discipline is a part of a church, a true church. Jesus gives us that. He says, you know, go to your brother if they've sinned against you, you know, and work that out. Um, go, and if they won't, go, you have two or three witnesses come with you and address it. If they won't, then you take it to the church. And, and, and a lot of those can maybe take a little longer and stuff, and depending on the situation, we'll give them more grace or not. But if they refuse to repent, they are removed from the membership Treat them as a Gentile tax collector. Like they are, you treat them as a non-believer at that point. Um, that is not, people think that's cruel. No, that is grace. Because the goal of Church of Sin is, is that they are separated from the, their family and they feel that pain and then the goal is to have them come back for reconciliation. The goal is reconciliation and restoration that's the goal of church discipline friends okay the hope is that like let's say you say something mean to me and i confront you on it you confess i did sin against you and we're made whole again that's reconciliation and restoration friends that's church discipline guess what you're doing it all the time formal church discipline does take a little more that's for a regular church member however in first timothy um it, First Timothy five, it um, kind of gives a little more for leaders. So First Timothy five nineteen says, "Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses." The task force has more many witnesses for some of these individuals. Verse twenty, those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. And I think that this says, essentially, um, and we can get it further into this, but this means that they probably need to be removed. Definitely they have to be removed from leadership in these specific cases, you know. It's one thing if you said something mean to somebody in public and you had multiple witnesses and they called you out in front of the church, okay. But if you're abusing people and you have witnesses, you are to be removed from the church, okay? Removed from leadership, and church discipline must be enacted. Many churches in Southern Baptist Convention don't do church discipline. All these abusers, church discipline, as long as well as if, if there's still legal statute, you know, if it, any legal recourse that needs to occur. These people who, in the executive committee, are covering up things, they need to be removed from leadership, they need to be disciplined by their churches. They have disqualified themselves from ministry. How long? I don't know, but it's going to be a long time because they got a lot of restoration, reconciliation to work through. I hope that they can be restored and reconciled to the church. I don't know. I don't think that many of these will ever be able to come back to ministry. Um, Johnny Hunt 
claiming that he, even though there's two or three witnesses that are corroborated that he abused a woman, um, he still denies it and he says he wants to um, help other ministers, you know, to mentor them. Guys, if you are a minister, do not go to that man. Don't. Stay away from him. He cannot instruct you. He is outside of the church at this point, in my mind. He's denying it, but he's outside of the church. So what what needs to happen is these churches need to um, remove them from leadership immediately. They The SBC needs to remove them from leadership. They can't do much more than that. But the churches then need to remove them from leadership and go through the church discipline issue, which means publicly calling them out. Excuse me. At that point, if those churches do not do that, then those churches must be disfellowed from the SBC. They have to be removed from the SBC by force. The SBC needs to have courage to remove a 10,000-member church that gives lots of money to the SBC. If, if they're not willing to, the SBC has lost what little validity they have because they're not biblical at this point. They don't care about Scripture. They don't care about the kingdom of God. They just care about money and power. <clears throat> That's one thing I say. So I'm pretty harsh on this. <clears throat> Those men have to go through a lot of reconciliation to get to be members again. I don't... Many of you think of this harsh. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just... What I read in Scripture. God is has no patience for people who mistreat and abuse His image bearers, particularly vulnerable image bearers. Let's be clear on that. <clears throat> Other things, um, probably more transparency. Honestly, the SBC is so complicated. I, I don't think, even if the annual meeting is coming up, I'm recording this in the May of 2022, that, um, <clears throat> and in like three weeks, four weeks, something like that, the SBC will have their annual meeting in Anaheim. It's 2022. Uh, to vote on this stuff. Uh, who knows that they'll it'll get passed or not? It's a big question. I honestly think that even if it gets passed, I don't know if it'll get anywhere. I don't know if it'll be helpful. I hate to say this. Um, just because of all the reasons I've laid out before. So, what what do we do about this? What do we do? So, my wife and I have talked about this, and um, she obviously has less history with SBC than I do. She didn't. She wasn't raised in SBC home. She, you know, it's not. It's not a big deal to her. Um, but I'm with her on this: is that we are advocating our church, our local church, that our local church um, separate from the SBC. It's a small church, you know, there's not a lot of money, but, you know, others are going to say, well, you, you're taking money away from when they're trying to help survivors and stuff. Well, you know what, 
we can use that money in other ways to help survivors and to further the kingdom more efficiently, probably. Um, there's a taint to the SBC at this point that's worse than it, it's ever had. That God doesn't call us to be devoted to a denomination. God calls us to be devoted to his kingdom. <clears throat> so we can give up any denomination to further his kingdom. doesn't mean our, we'll push our church to join another denomination. We'll just function as a church, an autonomous church. There you go. Like a Baptist identity there. Um, that's our personal th thought. We'll see what our church does, and we'll then go from there. Should your church do that? I don't know. Um, clearly, I feel very strongly about some things on this. Whether or not anybody would listen to me about this is a different issue. Uh, it's really up to your conscience whether you push your church to stay with SBC or to leave. It should not be based around the cooperative program. Let me say that. Do not let people guilt trip you into thinking that it's about the cooperative program and about... Um, the the king uh, you know the mission and making sure that missionaries have money you know what you can support missionaries with without being a part of a denomination so um you know i just think that that's something yeah uh so yeah i'm it it so be praying about it, be thinking about it. Um, watch what happens with the annual with the annual meeting. If you're not in the SBC, well, um, don't think your denomination is completely free. Push, push for investigations, push for transparency. Um, I know one thing our church has talked about is we'll probably review our policies to prevent this kind of stuff. And I was talking to one of my pastors today, and one thing he thought of was that we also make it clear that if you think there's something happened, don't just talk to the leadership in the church. Go to the civil authorities. Go to the police. Report it. If you think there's abuse, report it. Um, that way it can't be easily covered up. Now, will people try? Potentially. But um, sinner's going to sin. So you just got to... you gotta find ways to, to prevent that from happening. Uh, and yes, the church is composed of sinners, but we can protect image bearers the best of our ability. We are called to do that. Uh, there, there are different groups available out there that can do trainings, so look into those. Um, I don't really know the best way to find those. I know of at least one. So we got our kids a book. Um, it was kind of, we could read to them about their bodies and being made in the image of God and what good touch and bad touch was essentially and without making it weird, without um, traumatizing them. Uh, and that was put out by an organization called Grace, so you can look that up. I think, I can't remember the website now. Uh, but there's other ones out there. I'm just That's just the one I could think of. So, yeah, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry. And I looked back at an old message uh, thread I had with a friend of mine um, about all this. This was two over two, no, three years ago. 
Um, uh, so it's a um, it's sad that this has been going on, and some of these things I, I've been saying for actually since this uh, long time. Uh, some of these things, so it can be done if people have courage to do it. Be praying for the Southern Baptist Convention, for the churches, do what they need to do. Um, and you have to remember that these executive committees, the members that did that hid this, they are the ones that shamed Jesus. They are the ones that sullied his bride, along with the perpetrators, not the victims. So if anybody says something about the victims, you can throw that back in their face and then call them to repent, present the gospel to them. Show them that they must care about God's image bearers. Um, so yeah, that's all I have for now. I'm going to pray. Uh, feel free to reach out to me however you know how to. God's work displayed at gmail.com or if you know me personally, reach out to me. Um, if you have questions, concerns, you think I was harsh, you think I was too lenient, maybe I can come back to that. Um, and then next one I'll be, I'll try to do the communion piece and we'll go from there. So let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you um, for saving us, for saving us terrible sinners and for allowing us to have a hope of reconciliation with you and with fellow man. Um, Lord, lead us away from temptation. Protect us from evil. Help us to look out for those vulnerable, to love them well. Um, help us to seek restoration for sinners, to call them out in their sin, and to confront them. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.